0: Hey everyone, and welcome to The Seed. We are changing over to a new podcast show that is more reflective of where I am in life. Ironically, The Seed was planted by every guest that I had on my Homes and Hops podcast. So listen in, subscribe, and comment on my new monthly podcast, The Seed, which stems from dandelion discussions, all about women empowerment, entrepreneurship, and objectives that are often planted in us. Our guest stories are here to inspire, educate, and most importantly, to let you know you are not alone. Lisa Resnick here with Lena Esmail. Happy to be here. Yes. So Lena is like strong, badass woman. She runs QuickMed. I do. I do. It's exciting. Yes. Been growing. Yes very quickly. Mm-hmm. Well, they don't call us quick med for nothing, that's like <laughs> what I say. You know, come to think of it, I never thought about that. Yeah. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, it also tells you, like, there's no
1: chance to slow down because you got to be quick. That's right. That's right. And everything we do, um, we, we have the quick part, but we don't compromise, so.
0: Yeah, so you're a businesswoman. I am.
1: So, but you're also a nurse. Nurse practitioner, that's right. By trade. I
0: am, dual certified with a doctorate, all those good things that come after it. So... Tell us a little about about your journey and what made you actually decide to go into medicine to begin with. Sure. I, I'm always intrigued by that because growing up, so my grandfather was a doctor. Okay. And that actually made me apprehensive to go into medicine. I was sure. like, oh, this is above my head. Like mm-hmm. there's blood, there's cutting, there's needles and everything involved. Right. I'll just I'll just step away from this. Maybe be an attorney, right? That didn't
1: happen either. <laughs> no, no. Um, I think that for us, I, I come from a large family. I am uh, one of seven children. And my mother was first and foremost. So Go where ahead. do you, where do you sit in the seven? I'm second. Oh, so I'm second. I was not the first born and that was not the first boy. Yep. So I was that middle child and I had middle child syndrome, which you can you can reflect on some of my personality traits now and recognize that. <laughs> but um, nonetheless, come from a large family, family of seven. Neither of my parents were formally educated outside of high school education. Okay. And my mother, who is first generation Palestinian, uh, was very adamant that all of us have to go to college and get a four year degree or else we'll never leave the house. Well, that was enough motivation for me. Wow. So, so um, I originally was going to go into physical therapy at, at Youngstown State, which is my, my proud alma mater. Yes, mine and, too. Yep. Yeah, and um, you had to take pre-med classes because it was a pre-med track. Mm-hmm. So I was in class, I remember distinctly, I was in classes with my cousin, Dr. Amira, who's a physician out in, uh, at St. E's ER smart, um, really nice guy. But nonetheless, he was getting A's and I was getting like C's and D's. And I said, wait a second, this isn't for me. And he said, well, maybe you should stop playing pool and basketball at the wreck, and actually come to class. (laughs) And I said, yeah, maybe. So I I had a conversation with- It's called balance. It's called balance. So you can't have balance when you do pre-med. I always was interested in medicine though. So I told my mom, mom, this isn't for me. I'm going to quit. Like I'll figure something out. She goes, no, you're not. You will never, I swear, you'll never leave here. So one day- (laughs) We were sitting in Doctor. Canby's office, okay. and her nurse practitioner came out, and my mom's like, "That's what you should do. You should do that. Look, look how, look how professional she looks. She had a little white coat on." Yep. And um, I, I had no intention of being a nurse practitioner at the time, but I did start in the nursing program. Okay. Uh, and I ended up keeping my biology degree. So when I graduated in five years, I graduated with two different degrees: biology and nursing from YSU.
0: But incidentally, that same nurse practitioner is now employed with QuickMed. So it all circled oh, back cool. around. Yeah, that is really cool. I have to ask you this because. It- Just recently, finally, myself, which is unfortunate, and I don't know if this is true for you, because of how busy we are. We end up not scheduling those doctor's appointments for ourselves that Mm -hmm. we know are super important for us to have. So, yeah, you already know that... um,
1: healthcare providers and healthcare people in general, nurses, are, we're the worst patients. So yeah. um, by the nature of, of being an owner-operator, it's definitely valuable in the sense that if I need care, I have access to care immediately. But now that we've included primary care and gynecology, it's been really easy for me to ensure that I don't miss my follow-ups. Oh, that's good. So I mean, they my, my oh, providers- you get,
0: you get your records right off the bat. Yeah.
1: My providers call me to say, you're coming in this day. They don't even give me an option because they know I'll never do it otherwise. Yeah. So um I get my gynecology services. I get as long as I don't get pregnant again, which knock on wood I won't,
0: you're uh, still young enough. Yeah, I know. No, I'm too old.
1: <laughs> you're not even too old. I, <laughs> I, I,
0: like, to, I like to think I'm perimenopausal. Yeah. You keep telling yourself
1: that so you get a surprise of your life. I know. But um but you know, I get my um, I get my routine checkups through my providers who are also friends of mine and they make sure that I don't miss them. But otherwise, you know, I would probably be very non-compliant just out of the nature of who I am. In fact, yep. I, I remember that um, the only time I would get care prior to ha- being an owner-operator of medical practices is when I would be pregnant because you, yes. you had to, right? Yes. And then after you have pregnant, you do your postpartum. And then after that, I'll go when I need to. And it's, it's a horrible mentality, but we have this, um, this mild level of... of um, Of narcissism, where we believe if we need to see a doctor, we're going to see a doctor, right? Exactly. And we just don't. And we're we're not we're not we're healthy until we're sick, right? But in reality, um, you know, proactive we um, don't do do
0: the preventative wellness care
1: care is so important and it's so necessary in the identification of of potential disease. That's really what it's for, right? It's not it's not for anything other than trying to identify what can possibly go wrong yep. it's just like taking your car in for routine maintenance right how many of us don't and then our engine blows up it's happened to me before i may so, have my check oil and engine lights yeah, still yeah. still rolling and once you found out what it meant then now you know yeah right? now i know so um i think that yeah, understanding that even myself as a professional doesn't go through the follow-ups like I should or the wellness that I should made me understand and recognize that if you extrapolate me as a professional who is in the industry to those people that don't understand the the need because they haven't been through the process of the education part of it. It's true. There's an equity issue, right? Because we live in in the gross city of Youngstown where you have a huge access to care problem. You have a huge understanding problem. There, there's a dynamic where people just don't know the value of wellness care. True. And uh, which we've discussed, too, is also a generational issue. It's very generational. There's there's a, a big distrust in mm-hmm. communities like the African-American community as it pertains to accessibility to health care mm-hmm. and whether or not you're going to get fair care, right? Are you going to get the same exact care that your white counterpart would get? And when I say that, it, it people go, well, what do you mean same care? Um, what I mean is believability. You're under the, um, the guidance of a practitioner that has an option whether or not he believes your symptoms are are really truly symptoms and believe it or not, doesn't mean they're racist. It's just, you know, biases that we carry about our cultures or other cultures where we, in the back of my mind, assume that maybe what you're telling me isn't full value. And that affects the course of care. And what you'll find statistically is that there are are, um, races and genders that are more believed than others in medicine. And the African-American woman, unfortunately, is on the bottom of that list, especially the young African-American woman. So when you talk about you know, understanding that there is a distrust in the communities that we serve because we're very unique in the way that QuickMed is not just in areas of of suburbs that we know everybody has insurance and we can make a
0: profit. Well, listen, actually, I'll never forget. This is back when we lived in Virginia and I was going through a litany of blood work. I like, like litany. That's a good word. I mean, it was every yeah. like two weeks I had to go get my blood drawn. Sure. Because of my ANC counts being low. And mm-hmm. which, yes, I do have an autoimmune issue with mm-hmm. my ANC counts. Mm-hmm. But I, I wanted it to stop. Like so much so that I would run before I had to go get my blood work because I knew that would increase those counts. And I was hoping it would increase enough so I wouldn't have to keep going back. Right. But I went to um, GW mm-hmm. and the ho- the hospitalist there looked at my my file, which mm-hmm. was so Huge. ridiculously thick. Like There was a part that I was like, people are going to think that I'm making stuff up. So you're just coming work. to get treatment because yes. you be have it in your mind, you're hypochondriac, you yes. think you're sick. Yep. Yes, and I wanted to, they're not listening. I wanted to end. Yeah. Just like we know the diagnosis, that's it. Let's right. just move forward. Right. Tell me this is what you need to eat. This is how right. you need to right. live. And then we'll move You we'll just move want the on. treatment
1: plan. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. it.
0: So I remember the hospitalist there saying to me, Picking up the file, he goes. You know what this is called? You have good insurance.
1: Yep, yep, yep. And that's absolutely right. And that, that's absolutely right. And, and you know what? Who we who we disvalue, or we or we or we don't give credit of existence to, is not the patients that qualify for Medicaid that are the very low economic. Yeah. Or the patients that have good insurance, we forget the underinsured, right? Yes. Those are the folks that are at more vulnerable risk for not accessing care when they need it. Yes. So those are the people that, you know, make enough money to have to buy into insurance but have crappy insurance that costs a lot of money and their deductibles are high. So mm-hmm. they're gonna avoid at all costs using healthcare facilities unless they absolutely need to and and when you look at options to healthcare, if you don't have access points like urgent care you have to go to the er when you have an which is insanely you you, you need laceration repair you have to go yeah ER. like and and the cost for that is insane it's it's about you know um five to six hundred percent more to get the same exact service but the same exact type of provider so i remember distinctly my husband cut his head open on a vent at a restaurant because he's a chef and he came into the hospital I was working at in the year at the time and I stitched him up and we got a bill. He didn't have his insurance card on him and we got a bill for almost $3,000 to get the same exact procedure done in an urgent care. If you were paying cash, it'd be around 200. Yep, And I think that, um, go going back and, and disclosing that these things occur and it's just the nature of the overhead, right? The ER you have to operate you have to have a blood bank, you have yes. to operate emergency level services. it's gonna cost you more. You have facility fees. Yes. Urgent care doesn't come with all those. It's basic it's basic
0: business. Yes. Urgent care doesn't have the overhead so they can charge I feel like less. urgent care is your like drop in. Like hey, yeah. something happened. I'm gonna exactly drop into the urgent care. I'm gonna, get gonna in, drop get in. It out. That's it.
1: Yeah, that's it. You're not feeling well. Um, even if you're not sure, it's a good place to start, right? Because they can at least be the Yeah, because they yeah. can at least be the gatekeeper and tell you you might need a referral to to dermatology. You might yes. need a referral to gynecology or to or to um, you know gastro, whatever the case may be. But um, you know we we have been the the filler, not just for. What we call healthcare deserts, like our Glenwood location, yes. where they're not optimal for large facilities or large organizations to open in because the the pair mix isn't optimal for them. Mm-hmm. So we can go there because we can run off of a less a lesser revenue model because our costs are lower. So no knock to those hospital organizations. Oh, yeah. It's more so a a credit to the fact that our operational expenses are so much lower and we're willing to take the chance and get the buy-in of the communities that we serve. Um, but then you, you have, you know, you have those, so you have just a lack of access points in areas where people need them, like areas of Youngstown. But then you have, you know, areas like Boardman or, or Canfield, but you have those underinsured folks and they don't want to go anywhere.
0: Right, But see, here, here's my question. So also referring back to Virginia, we had a nonprofit mm-hmm. hospital, nonprofit right. in a loose sense. I mean, right. they still made a th- right. ton of money. right? And then they had their counter, which was the for-profit mm-hmm. hospital. And the nonprofit hospital was always concerned about the for-profit hospital locating nearby because then their emergency rooms were going to end up being filled with mm-hmm. everyone that the for-profit would end up rejecting. Well, believe it or not, whether you're a
1: for-profit or a non-profit, if you have an emergency department, you are under the guidance of mtala, which means you can't turn anybody away um whether they have insurance or not the government generally my understanding is whether you're for-profit or non-profit because you fall under the guidance of amtala you get some sort of subsidy but what what you um often get is the perception from a client that has insurance that they're going to get better care for a for-profit because they're not having to deal with patients that don't have insurance and that's where there's a competitive edge yes that's crazy. But if you it? look at it now, we have a hospital system that's for-profit steward. And we have yeah. a, ho- a hospital that's, that's non-profit. And it's a giant, right? It is but, a giant. But I think that it, it really comes down to logistics. Um, you Sometimes you just go, what's what's the closest to you? What oh, you 100%. you are not going to drive. Very rarely will somebody drive past and urgent care to get to another urgent care unless they've had a horrible experience there. Yes, you know. So um, logistics plays the number one role, and then cost plays the second. You'll drive past it if you're saving a hundred bucks. I yeah. would, right? Yeah. So logistics, depending co- on what it is, right? Logistics, cost, and customer service drive. Uh, I'm telling all my all my corporate secrets, but they drive. Yeah. Um, you know, they drive. They drive traffic into places where you have options. When you're dying from a heart attack, you don't care. You don't have options. No, and and that's why the weight of customer service isn't as significant. You're here, we are here to save your life, got yes. it, right? But when you have options where you get your care, you have to consider the customer service point of view. Obviously, compliance and safety becomes a significant part of that, but that's stuff that happens in the background. That's not what the patient is going to care about. They no. care more about how they're treated and how they're received when they go there. They care about cost and they care about convenience. The of bedside location. manners.
0: That's right, that's they right. Do.
1: And sometimes, depending on those three things, they'll compromise one for the other two: cost and location, um, customer service and cost. So um, you know that's kind of the the, the triangle of of, reality, of is reality. We want it all. That's it. We do. That's it. We want it all. You know, and a lot of people sometimes because it's not cheap, even it, with insurance. It's not. It's not it's cheap. It's not cheap. Well, insurance is expensive, and if you're paying for a service like insurance, you want to make sure that that if you are
0: going to utilize it, you're getting great yeah, care. I agree completely. Now, how did you transition? From being a nurse practitioner, which by the way, and I'm not knocking the doctors out there, anytime I see an MP, like I call and make the doctor's appointment, Mm -hmm. and the receptionist says, Is it okay if it's the nurse practitioner? I'm like, Hell yeah. Right. Like, I don't know why, but when you're seen by the nurse practitioner, I actually feel more seen, more heard, Mm -hmm. and given the care and the conversation that is that is so necessary, there's that understanding. And yeah. again, I'm not knocking, there's been a lot of good doctors out there and they're great, mm-hmm. it's just how, the difference in how they treat. Absolutely, well, I think that the, um, the, the pillar of
1: that is training, um, nurses have a very, in nursing training, a lot of it is holistically based, communication type skills, understanding okay. the the holistic need of the patient from a psychosocial standpoint. Whereas when you're in medical school, it is heavily based on science, yeah. right? And though we most some of us have bachelor's of science in nursing like myself, uh, you, you still have those interpersonal dynamics that you learn so that you can be the advocate for the patient. And you carry that on from nurse to nurse practitioner. And, and, and not only that, I mean, the obvious fact is that most nurses, are women and yes. women like people? Men like things. So, yeah. um, some there are many doctors that are men. So I think that you have to consider gender into play too. Yeah, um, and I think that those are just some of the dynamics we forget about. Um, you know, I think that just to put it out there, just since we're having the conversation, do I think nurse practitioners are, are equal to physicians in terms of training or, or knowledge? Generally speaking, no, because the training is different. Yes. Um, do I think there will always be a need for physicians, even oh. in nurse practitioner owned facilities? Absolutely. QuickMed employs six physicians. Agreed. Um, but I think that the, the the reality of this world and of this country and of this state. Of yeah. Ohio is that there aren't enough physicians, right? So because there aren't enough physicians, why yeah. do you think that is? Um, well, you have limitations on who gets into med schools, right? It's okay. A, it's, it's very um, competitive, and you have seat limitations, right? So there just aren't enough people going in. There aren't enough qualified folks that are getting into med school that are coming out, and and not only that, if you can live anywhere in the country, do you want to live in Ohio? Or do you want to live I mean, in California? I mean, or do you want mean, to live in New York? I mean, or do you want to live in Florida? Here. <laughs> right. Well, I stayed here. I came back to Youngstown. But but I mean, there are options. And then not only there that, are. let's take it to the next level. How many physicians go into it to be general practitioners? They want to be specialists a lot of yes. times because they have to pay their student loans. Exactly. So you might see somebody that goes in and they want to be a derm. It's expensive. So all these factors create a, a imbalance of of access to physicians. So the nurse practitioner is needed. Now, a lot of physicians will will have this dilemma or this argument where they feel like, well, you know, nurse practitioners are not physicians. No, they're absolutely not physicians. No. But they can still, um, you know, within their scope of practice, deliver the same level of care in certain settings. Exactly. Primary care is one. Urgent care is another. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, there, as we move towards growth with access points to care, you're going to notice that it's going to be nurse practitioner led positions as opposed to physician um, positions out of sheer,
0: um, you know, numbers. So, with that being said, like, how do you transition from nurse practitioner to business owner? Well, I think that the one
1: thing I've learned. Through failing businesses, because I, I told you before in my yes. past, we, all, we, we tried a restaurant, lost a lot of money on it. Um, but, you know, first things first, you have to understand the, the basic mentality of profit and loss. Mm-hmm. Are you bringing in more than you're losing? You know, that's the basics of that's business. That's our goal. Yeah. The second base of business is fulfill a need. Are you fulfilling a need? You can't be the the twentieth food truck at the fair and think that you're going to make all the money, right? Exactly. So and market share, right? Market share. So fulfill the need. Second rule of business. And um, I think that when we looked at the when I looked at the dynamic of urgent care, and my first opening was a direct response to a hospital system, a hospital system closing a hospital in the in the North Side. So North Side Hospital, yep. Stewart Health closed. Um, I was working at the ER in the competition hospital up the street, and we were seeing a great influx of non non-emergent patients utilize the ER for non-emergent things, which not only bogs down the ER, um, but it also is not the way that insurance is designed to cover treatment. No. So, you know, went to um, a bunch of colleagues. Hey, I have a good idea. Let's open an urgent care. It's like, oh, no, no, I'll never work in this town. Never work. I can't do it. That's too much of a risk. Um, You know, third rule of business, you have to be willing to take a risk. Yes. Right. Uh, So, I decided that I would, you know, I ended up finding a partner and we decided, let's try this. Let's let's open two locations. Our first location was in Liberty, our second location was in Cortland, and that was just an opportunity grab because it used to be a physician's office that a hospital system had exited. And um, you know, it, it cost us a lot. Your, your first one or two is your, are your learning locations. So mm-hmm. it cost us a lot to get to get um, yes. to get them turned on. And I operated, I operated them. I was a full-time provider. I worked like every day at Liberty and then we hired another two girls and they operated in Cortland. But then you you do what you do best, right? You provide care. And yeah. and strategically, Liberty is my hometown, right? So my first location was there. I was received very well by the, our community in Liberty. Cortland just is was an area of need, fulfill the need. We were able to get a buy-in through the community of the lovely people in Cortland because there was a need there. People didn't want to drive all the way down to Warren or down the Elm Road when they lived back in the, in the in the uh, true. the northern end of Portland. So, um, you know, I think the transition for me was easy because I have always been someone that um, had an entrepreneurial spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, I never thought I was just telling my friend the other day. I never set out in life to be a wildly successful business person. I sat in life to be comfortable and I, I you are comfortable as a nurse practitioner, you can move, move out of the house and graduate. That's right, well, first things first, move <laughs> out. So your, your goals change throughout your life, right? hundred percent. So, so you go from, you know, I went from my seasons, I'll get out of the house, graduate, get married, yep. got divorced, my ex-husband is a physician. Yep. Well, it, it is very belittling to, to Get divorced in the situation that I was divorced, and um, and and realize that you were defined by your husband, right? So I got my doctorate, right? And then you know there are a lot of local physicians around here that hate when they call me Doctor. smail but yeah. you know, first of all, I don't. It's not something you use clinically, no. but, but it is a, a, a distinction I've earned, yes. Right. So for academia or for the sake of being on the news or whatever the case may be, you know, I, I told myself that I wasn't going to let my children think only their father was capable of being a doctor, right? Yep. So got that. Um, in the process, you you know you go through this this attempt to build something for my family through this restaurant with my husband ended up being a failure. So now it got to the point where you know I was
0: you know you leverage all of your your money to I, do this. So I I have to ask you this because I do I think people's fear of failure mm-hmm. stops them. Hundred be- percent. Before they even verbalize it's, 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 what it's, it's they a want, it's a twofold
1: thing. It's a fear of failure, which can be surpassed, but it's a, a fear of loss, which is is an accurate and true fear, right? So I lost a half million dollars on my restaurant venture. I lost a half million dollars, just gone, Gone in the wind, right? So I had I had drained my savings. I had drained my retirement. I had drained all those. My credit cards were maxed out, but what I knew in the back of my mind was number one, I didn't want to be a failure. And number two, I never wanted to be in a position I am today where I have no more capital to leverage. If my family, if I break down my car, what do I do? And, and, uh, and, you know, at that point I said, okay, well you can do, you can, I said, Lena, let's try one more thing. At the end of the day, you can always go back to the hospital and you can work every single day and you can pay back everything that you've, you've lent
0: you've borrowed or whatever the case may be. And, and that was my backup plan. Did you think about the possibility of it not working out before you even tried it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You always have that fear. What if nobody comes to the surgeon yeah. care? What if you can't get
1: credibility in with a brand new brand in the community when you have these monsters of brands yeah. that are, you know, all those things, you know, at the end of the day, what I knew is that. I can always go back to the hospital and work, Yep. right? I always had a backup plan to go back and, and pay any loans that we took out or any any investment that my partner made as well that we were going to be able to, I would make it back up. Okay. And so so it was an incredible initial investment. It was like almost $2 million investment for the first two locations. That's what they cost. This isn't something that you just walk into and you get lucky and, oh my gosh, look at her. She's, yeah. she's doing so well now. She drives a nice car. Well, you know, our first investment was nearly $2 million for the first two locations. Yeah. Now, granted, we've gotten that cost significantly to lower because we've learned the ins and outs of how to open these now. But that's the risk that we took together, my partner and I. That's the risk that we took. And with high risk, there is high reward, right? Yes. So then we had the two locations. We ended up opening a... um, a third location that was in the making out in Medina near my ex-husband's house. Yeah. And um I love that one. I used to live in Medina, so I was very familiar with the neighborhood. And uh we ended up opening um Columbiana. We absorbed a practice from a physician that is now our medical director, Dr. Beistel. We turned that primary care into a primary care urgent care combo. And um then COVID hit. Yeah. Well as unfortunate as COVID it was, it was great for urgent care. We took a lot of risks and chances in COVID through you know, some of the COVID, there wasn't even the diagnosis code for COVID yet. So when when, when testing started to come out, you weren't sure if you were going to get reimbursed on this test and you didn't even have a code for these tests, right? Yep. So um, we took the chance and we said, we're going to buy the tests anyway. We're going to get these rapid tests. We're going to get these antibody tests. We're going to do PCR testing anyway, because at the very minimum from a business component, we knew we'd at least get compensated for the visit, even if we lose money on the test. But more importantly, um, it's what you fulfill the need. Yes. Right? Fulfill the need. Going back to that number, fulfill the need. So um, the one thing we did, there were doctor's offices closing in the wake of COVID because they were scared. Oh, yeah. Right? You remember? The vir-
0: yeah, the virtual. The vir-
1: Everyone turned virtual. Yeah. We We... Flip that script. We said, how do we test as many people as we can in a day? Open air testing. We lined everybody up in their cars. We, we tripled our, our staffing. So instead of one nurse practitioner, we might have three or four at any given location. Yep. Um, we, we did everybody's vital signs while we were in their car. We sanitized like crazy, and we moved the lines along. And that's how we were able to not only contain anyone that might be sick, but we were able to mass test in a more um, in a more effective fashion. And we were able to do that every single location that we had, because the parking lots were big enough at the time so you know people look back and they say wow they grew so fast well i mean did you drive by one of our locations during covid yes i mean we were doing chick-fil-a lines every day at any given point in time our liberty location which had the biggest parking lot um oh, yes would have uh, at 8 a.m., I would get there at 7.30 because I was working clinically, and I would get there at 7.30, and there had to have been 150 cars just waiting in line. Just for the 7.30, mm-hmm. we had to 8 o'clock open, and then we would do two lines, and we would just run them through, and um, I got to give my, my staff credit. It was not easy. We did it in the heat. We did it in the cold. We did it in the snow. We did it in the rain. We went out there, and we did it, but what we recognize is we cannot— effectively disseminate these tests, doing it one by one in exam rooms. They had to be done in a way where we can maximize seeing patients and we can protect the safety of our patients as well. So that's what we did and it was, we consider it to be very innovative thinking. Uh, We were the first in the community to get rapid testing when they just came out. Nobody believed in them. We got them first. Um, We were the first to get antibody testing in the community. And we actually had PCR COVID testing before any of the hospital systems because we had a PCR lab before COVID. And we took the chance and put our necks out. And and we're not locked into certain vendors that we have to go through for anything in particular. So we went out and we were able to, we had infectious disease doctors calling us, asking us how we had access, right? And it was just a matter of, you know, when you want something, you go out and you find it and you, you keep knocking on the door until somebody will give you the answer. I
0: love that you said that because that's so true. Nothing comes easy for anyone. Nope. If you really want it, you're going to, you're going to do the hard work, you're yep. gonna deep dive into it and you're gonna keep calling and you're gonna keep reaching out and you're gonna you're gonna find your way in order to get it. And those are the successful people. Absolutely. Those the what what is it? Um the tenacity, the endurance, like mm-hmm. all those things, the perseverance, all those things that they just don't quit you can't quit and that's exactly what I was going to say i remember when we were first starting out and,
1: and if you don't know you probably don't know much about establishing a medical practice but you have to call every insurance company and say we'd like to be able to accept your insurance and there were two or three very large insurance companies that said we're not accepting any more people. There are too many people in your panels in your area. Sorry, you're out of luck. I was Googling presidents' phone numbers, calling them on their cell phones, giving them the sob stories. My mom calls yeah. it, tell them your situation. Yeah. I would cold call people. And that's how we got into network for some of these, uh, some of these larger organizations, Anthem being one and United oh. Healthcare being another. And um you know, I go back and I tell my reps these stories now and they laugh and they're like, Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. But but in reality, you know, I never took no for an answer when I knew it was going to affect the efficacy of what I was doing. Yeah. So if that meant that I had to get into every panel of insurance that everybody has around here, that's what I was going to do. If that means I was offering services that traditionally urgent cares don't offer, like IV fluid therapy, that's what I was going to do. Um, And I think that um, the the ability, one of my very unique traits, and it could be toxic depending on what part of my life I'm using it in, is that I will go to sleep thinking something is impossible or it can't be done or it's over or I, and I will wake up thinking, what can I do today to fig- figure it out? And that happens with that's everything. Amazing. In life. And, and that's amazing. And that's how I've always been. That's how I've been wired. I have this never give up mentality. And um, you know, the way I figure there's always a solution. That doesn't mean I don't know how to pivot. Yeah. Because sometimes pivoting is an essential tool. Well, in sometimes business.
0: that's the solution. That is the solution, sometimes, absolutely. And, and learning. And to recognize that mm-hmm. is so important also in the success of your business. You have
1: to learn to know when things aren't working out and, and get out yes. of it
0: before it drains you. Yeah. You know, we had
1: um, a, an urgent care pop up location in, in uh, a pharmacy that wasn't highly trafficked. We did it as a favor to the owner. Very nice people. um, And we thought we'd give it a go. Well, um, at some point, we had to make the hard decision that do we pull out? And the answer was yes, because there was not going to be sustainable. Sustainability is the next rule of business, right? How do you keep going? And and how do you create um, a means to always have um, revenue sources? And part of sustainability is if one revenue source stops, do you have enough flow from the other revenue sources to at least buy you time to find a new one? Yes and um you know so when you look at sustainability what we've learned through trial and error is what locations work what locations don't um, what services work what services don't and it's like the wendy's menu one day they'll have the strawberry shake and yes. the next day they don't they have a new bacon sandwich whatever the case may be you really have to apply that to business without having a too much of a dynamic menu which means keep it simple mm-hmm. you know so that's what we're the fifth rule of business keep yeah. it simple don't yeah. don't I learned this from the restaurant business. You don't have to make your menu 15 pages, right? Keep it simple. You can start adding on ancillary things to your simple, basic model. But if you initially organically keep it simple, then you grow off of that. Like all of our urgent cares are urgent cares, but some of them are primary cares. Some of them have gynecology. And that was fulfilling the need. You grew from it, right. but you still,
0: it's like you still had your basic menu right. yeah. that you added the specialty, And, that's those special and, and
1: you, you know you can always start yes. to come back to the basic menu if something's not working out. Let's let us cut this. Let's turn it off. Let's turn it down temporarily. Exactly. And, and you have to be able to, the basic model has to be profitable, because if the basic model isn't profitable, then um, the ancillary stuff
0: is not going to save you through the storm. It's true. And it, it is true about keeping it simple. Um, one of our mutual friends... Uh, was telling me the other day that someone came to them with this business idea and she listened Mm -hmm. to the pitch if you will for about 15 minutes and she had no idea what the person was saying and Mm -hmm. and her response was if i'm not getting what you're saying nobody else will it's too complex
1: no nobody else will and you have to be able to break it down and a lot of that is Communication. Mm-hmm. To be a successful business person, you have to have excellent communication skills. You have to be able to break something down for a five-year-old the same way you can break it down for a fifty-year-old, and they have yes. to get it. Um, and not only that, but even if you're
0: not directly in sales, you have to be a salesman because yes. you're
1: selling yourself.
0: Yes, you're, in some way, you're selling yourself. A- that that's what I learned in real estate. Mm-hmm. In all honesty, it never mattered the brokerage that I was signed up for at the You're end of the day. Yourself. At the end of the day, it was mm-hmm. whether or not that person wanted to work with me. That's absolutely right. And, and you know, people walk away from people
1: they don't like. They can love the service. Yeah. But if they don't like me, if they don't like Lena and they, and I'm hoping that we're growing big enough now to where there are areas, Akron, Ravenna, people don't associate Quickmail with Lena, but here they do right here in this community they do so you know we have 11 standalone locations the furthest being Dayton so Dayton doesn't know who Lena is so it's less relevant though you want the mission to stay the same but here where you have social accountability because my clinics are here and I have to go and face my English teacher or my or my you know my babysitter who lives in my community my aunt right so there's a social accountability that I hold here and because of that I recognize that there that every day I wake up and I have to remind the people I deal with of the value of what I bring. Yes. And that is part of the territory. You can't just go out and be an ass to everybody and think that people are going to utilize your services. No. Um, I'm not built that way anyway, but I do recognize that there's a higher value to ensuring that you vocalize your value to the community that you serve. I agree. So that you're not only not lost, but that so people can choose you when they have options.
0: Yes. People need to know their options Mm -hmm. and you need to be able to communicate those options clearly to them. That's right. That's right. So I'm going to ask you this too. So- Lena has also, so we also have this event in our community that um, the Youngstown Business Incubator hosts. Mm-hmm. It's their is there big fundraising event as well as fueling other small businesses and mm-hmm. entrepreneurs in our area. Right. And it's called Shark Tank, which is, an, and it's literally what it sounds. It mimics after the show Shark right. Tank. Right, right. And Lena was a shark. I was a
1: shark. I was a shark. So what was that like? It was fun, you know. First and foremost, I was I felt so honored and humbled because I was sitting on a Shark Tank um, panel with with folks that have been in business longer than I've been born. In fact, I told the story during the the um, the, the Shark Tank um, you know initial. Um, uh, mixer that we had to Mr. Washington who, yes. who used to own all the McDonald's around here. Yes. And I said, Mr. Washington, you don't know this and you would never have remembered this, but I remember one day working at McDonald's on Belmont and you came in and, um, you were the sweetest guy ever. I had like the spray bottle cause I was cleaning, hanging in my pocket and you went and removed it. and you said, yeah, you can't do this here. People are going to think that your hands aren't clean. And, and the, the, you know, you told me, you know, if you keep this up, you're going to go places because he saw me with the customers and I was a salesman even at a young age without realizing it. Yeah. And, um, I told him I said, turn around, I said, You were right. Look at me now, right? Um so I was that, I was, that is a phenomenal full right, circle moment. Right, right. So I was I was on this panel with this whole um these whole magnificent group of folks that um had more were more seasoned than me and that had the the life experiences. And it was so that in itself was very rewarding. But but most importantly, um it, it was definitely nice to be able to be in a position where I can contribute and give back, even if it's just through opinion or or, or advice. Yep. And you know, a lot of those folks that come on Shark Tank looking for a buy in, they're still in the early stages of their business development. Yes. And sometimes they just need advice. They don't even need money as much as they need advice. And sometimes they use it as a, as a tool or a stepping stone to get advertising out there. Oh, um, as they should. As they should. So um, it was definitely humbling. It was, it was very interesting. It was a great networking situation. But more importantly, it's nice to be able to give back in different ways. And that was just
0: one of the ways. I thought it was such a fun event. Oh, it was so fun. It was so fun. I, I had a good time. Although I will say this. I also, from that evening, was like, oh, yeah, I would never be able to pitch in front of them. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it's a t- it was a tough
1: crowd. Yeah. But you know what? You, you I'm a firm believer that you got to be honest with people. Mm-hmm. And, and you can be nice about it, but you still have to be honest with people. If you have a crappy idea, in my opinion, I'm going to very gently tell you that you need to look at your idea again. Yeah. Um, the first thing I look at, whenever whenever somebody already has an idea. Right. They already have it. Like they're, yeah. they're doing this. Well, it's too late to go back and tell them, you know, are you fulfilling a need? Because they already think they do. OK, so my second question is, how are you going to make this sustainable? Right. How do you make it sustainable? Um, You know, what is and, and the thing that 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 really gets me is that a lot of these young entrepreneurs, they don't have a real business plan.
0: Oh, yes.
1: You know, they don't understand what the profit and losses need to look like to break even. And, and if and if this is what you've devoted you also your have life to
0: continuously to, update your business plan. Absolutely. Because. There are shifts. There's different things that need to occur that you realize is working. Right. And what's right, not right, working, right. where right. to double down, what to back away You have where. to change
1: your business plan. You have to, if and you're not those, make those affect the numbers. If you're not making money, you have to make cuts. Yeah. You have to make cuts in different ways. And I think that the basics are what people, I, I don't think people don't understand the basics. I think that people don't know when to take action to change things. And that's where
0: people get really hung up. I also think that people don't like to do the work. Mm-hmm. To write down the basics like yeah. oh i have it all up in my well and and, head. and, and
1: getting it in excel
0: open and doing a basic these are my expenses these are yeah. what I, it's so easy to do It's so easy to do but it's hard for people to do that that's them again yeah. overcoming those inner demons that they have of Overcoming And you know what I
1: say to that? If you can't do it, you're not ready to open your business. Yeah. Right? You're not ready to open your business Um, because you have to see if you're meeting those metrics of your business. You should be excited about doing it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That should be your affirmation. Yep. Yep, absolutely. You know, we have different little business things that we do here and there because you know, once you get a taste of the success of business, you want to you want to replicate it. And mm-hmm. then, you know, we we've done things to, you know, between me, my partner, and other people that I know in my life, we like to like. I have a waffle truck that's being wrapped as we speak. You know, chicken and waffles. So, but nonetheless, it's fun to go in and do those business plans because they, they're goals. You're setting goals yeah. is what you're doing, and then you can adjust your goals based on reality as you're full fledged. And then once you so when's the chicken and waffle truck? We're hopefully we'll be open by. <laughs> september it's super exciting that yeah. is awesome yeah i'm super excited i really the reason i'm doing it is because i want to teach my children entrepreneurism so they're going to be in there working once i train them but um but nonetheless it's super exciting and um again fulfilling a need by
0: the way lena is doing all this and you have five children right? six six
1: yeah six, six children six kids yeah from ranging from the age ranging from the ages of 15 to five but what i've learned about myself is i'm not cut out to be a housewife no um it know. is
0: the most difficult job. It is so hard. I give those there. women
1: credit. I it, do. You know, um, and my kids are, you know, during the that's school what, year, they're that's on school. What, after having kids, that's what made me work even harder. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and I tell people this all the time. Lisa, I've told you this. Mm-hmm. You know, you work and, and your kids see you working. And, and and for a while, my kids knew, well, we, she has to work to put a roof over her. head, do this yeah. and that. Then you get to the point where it's like, well, do you really have to work? Do you really have to work that much? So then your mission has to be bigger than money yes. when you're in the place I am. Uh, so when I when I move forward and I start making these new moves, it becomes more of of uh, a, a generational wealth, not just for my kids, but for
0: my community too. Yeah. How can I
1: give my community something that's going to keep on giving?
0: Exactly. And I do, I look at, I have two boys mm-hmm. and I do think that there's such importance for them to see their mom working, their Absolutely. mom their mom being successful, their mom having failures and not giving up, them yep. seeing that in a woman just as much as it is yep. their father. Absolutely. Like, I think it's very important and that is something that I've taken on as my responsibility as a mom. Absolutely. And
1: I can echo that in my children. I think that you don't have daughters, but the importance for me was to show my daughters, especially my 10 year old, because my five year old is still young, but to show my 10 year old that um, as much as it's great to find somebody and fall in love with them and let a man take care of you traditionally, yes. the world's not the same. The it's world's not. not the same, and you have to be able to protect yourself. And even if you're not working in your skill or you're not working in your trade, be ready to pivot if you yeah. have to. When I got divorced, I wasn't working, but I was a nurse practitioner. So a week when my husband decided he didn't want to come home one day, yeah. and I had two babies at home, Yeah, I got a job the next week, and I was out working full time. And um, the the and then I remembered I recognized why my mother would not let us leave the house until because my mom has four daughters would not let us leave the house until we were educated and that's why because you have to be able to even if you're not utilizing your, your hip pocket mm-hmm. skills or your, or your education your trade you, you have to be ready to at any given time right. exactly and, and then I think that's the lesson I wanted to hit home for my uh, for my children especially my daughters I never set out to be financially successful at the level i am but i set out for sustainability for my life so that i never felt the fear of losing everything like i did during my divorce or like i did during the fact that the first business failed and and it turned into this by the grace of god and by the the tenacity of my work but at the end of the day my motives were not to be you know some some egotistical millionaire my 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 intentions and my motives were to ensure that I never have to worry about money again. Yeah. Because when you've been in a position where you had to worry about money, and as a woman, when you're in that position where it puts you in that state of not just vulnerability, but a state of chaos, right? Yes. And when you're in that state of, um, of, of what I call chaos, um, or, uh, or you are in a state where you feel like- You have the fight or flight. You have flight. the fight or flight. You can't help anybody when you're in that state, mm-hmm. right? You can't, when you're in survival mode, you can't help anybody you can't help your brother you can't help your children you can't be a mom no. because you're too worried about how you're going to pay your bills i was you know at the time when the restaurant was going downhill before i was able to before i was able to sell it i was working two jobs i was working in the hospital and in urgent care that was out in in a different um city and i the, and i was working overnight hospital daytime urgent care i didn't see my kids and yeah. nor did i care if they saw me because the, the, a roof was being put over their head they had they had food in the fridge exactly so, so you're Priorities change. So when you're in that survival mode and you're in fight or flight, as a woman, historically women would never have to be in that position because they yeah. weren't the the, the, the the head of the household. Times have changed. So as a woman, what I learned is that when you're in that, you don't see anything but that. You don't breathe anything but that. Your focus is nothing but sustainability of, of, the, of the lives of you and your children. Yeah. It's the basic survival mode that you fall in. And when you're in that mode, like many women are around here. Yes, you can't give back in a positive way. You can't build generational wealth. You no. can't be a person. You can't be a woman. No, you know? I have I have friends. You know, I coach. I help coach Liberty's basketball team for the girls, and I have my those girls become your friends, and they grow up, and they get a little bit older, and you know, you mentor them. But I have girls that um, one family in particular. They have a mom that works all the time. Dad doesn't really work. Doesn't really contribute. But that's besides the point. So she's essentially operating like a single mother. Well. These girls are, like, telling me how much their mom works. And I said, well, tell me about your mom. And they're like, we, we don't know. She just works a lot. And these are teenage girls. Okay. So so they don't get to see their mom as a woman or meet her as a woman. They don't get to see her as, as a mom or as, as a female or as anything other than the lady that goes out and makes money to put food on the table for them. So it's not only a disservice to her children. It's a disservice to herself. Yes. I, I said I just... Out of curiosity, I said, well, when was the last time you think your mom got a pedicure? They're like last year for her birthday. Like, so, so you see i saw myself in this woman because that was me mm-hmm. right where you couldn't spend any money on yourself you couldn't do anything extra because though i was making six figures i was paying debt yeah. right i was i was paying the the the, uh, the salaries of these people that worked at this restaurant and yes. it's not working out so um you you fall into this trap of survival and and what you realize what i realized and it's not the same for everybody but what i realized is i can only help myself Yeah, nobody people will help you through words and and through some actions, but nobody is going to come out of their pocket to help you generally. Right. It's not their responsibility to either. So when you get in that position, what I learned when I was in that hole is I looked up and I said, I'm never going to get myself back here again. I will never do this to myself again. Um, And I never wanted that for my children either. And I think that for me, um, not only do you learn a lot of fiduciary lessons when you get into that, because I think I learned how to pivot through not pivoting, pivoting fast enough for the restaurant. Um, You know, I don't want. My kids to have to learn through their mistakes, learn through my mistakes, right? Yeah. But not oh, al- yes. right? Yeah. But not only that, but um, learning the value of not being in survival mode as a woman. It's different when a man is in survival mode as opposed to for a woman. I firmly believe that men are just built they're different they're built different than women. We know that. Men are built different and than women. That's okay. And that's okay. We we might be the same in some ways, but we're different than others. That doesn't mean we're not equal. We're built different. Exactly. Built different, right? Exactly. So with that being said, um, what what financial crisis does to a woman is different than what it does to a man sometimes
0: it's true and
1: and i think as a woman being in i think of, the
0: psychological impact the
1: psychological is, impact changes it makes yeah. it makes women more masculine because they have to be more masculine at that point you lose your femininity goes out into out the window yeah you know it really does you don't care about what you look like you don't care no. about how your hair looks no you know your femininity really goes out the window at that point and that's how i was and you get to a point where it really changes you as a person because you have to adapt. You have to adapt. And women are great adapters, but it changes who they are. And, and my biggest advice is if you can avoid ever being in that survival mode, or if you know you're in that survival mode, make your goal, not just to survive, but to find a a slow exit plan out of survival mode. Because when you're in that, you can never, you're never doing yourself or your family's due diligence ever. You're never giving them what they deserve out of you. And, um, and you're not giving
0: yourself what you deserve either. And if you think about the full circle of life, it is so essential for you to give that part of yourself to your family, Absolutely. to your to your friends, your family, Absolutely. your children, like it's so essential because that's what that's what keeps us always alive,
1: right? Right, right. And if you're not if you're not able to do that for whatever reason, that you have generational wealth that I keep talking mm-hmm. about that carries over. You yeah. also have generational curses too. Yeah. And that becomes a generational curse because if you if your daughters can't see what it looks like for a mom to be momming or a woman to be womaning, right? Yep. Then how how, if they can't learn that from you, who are they going to learn it from?
0: I remember. So there was um, a podcast I was listening to that had an author of a book that was talking about basically the generational curses, if you Mm -hmm. will, of how you might have a child who is petrified of the water Mm -hmm. and you can't understand why they're petrified Mm -hmm. of the water. Mm -hmm. But if you... Look back at your ancestry, and then find out like great great grandma was afraid of the water too. Exactly, and somebody and, drowned in the family.
1: Yes, generations ago, and how that still is impacting your family. Today. I have a, I have a friend, very close friend, that um, a family member drowned in the pool two generations ago. Nobody in the family swims to this day. Yeah and and it's it's the same concept if somebody has a really traumatic experience with something that if yeah. you don't have the intuition to see through what face value that actually meant you just carry on whatever whatever it is and that becomes yep. the generational curse for you exactly. and sometimes the generational curse could be three generations ago grandpa great great grandpa failed college therefore you have, none of us go to college and you have no idea that it's happened no You just know, because you only know, you know, experience is so valuable for children. They only, they learn from school but then they learn from home experiences and life experiences. So the things um, we don't say. The things we don't say, the things they just see and mm-hmm. and, and we become our our, our mothers, right? We mm-hmm. become our mothers. Yes. Um you know, I, I see a lot of my mother in me. And um but but I also heard what she was saying and a lot of it was don't become like
0: I became. Don't get stuck like I got yes. stuck. And and you those things resonated you know, funny. You. So my mom was a single single woman. Mm-hmm. My mm-hmm. my father And her divorced as well. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Back then she probably, after all that he had done, would have probably have stayed with him Mm -hmm. because that's. Cause that's what she had to. That's what she was taught that she was supposed mm-hmm, to do, mm-hmm. and that's what family. She believed family should always be. And that's that's the uh, we come from the same. You know, I'm Middle Eastern Palestinian
1: Muslim woman, and, yeah. and we we are firm believers that you make it work. You stick yeah, it out. Patience exactly. is a virtue for women more than men, right? Exactly. You know, patience, patience, patience. It doesn't matter what they're doing, patience, patience. You know, if my ex-husband didn't leave me, he was cheating on me. I would have probably stayed yeah. with him yeah. because I was taught patience, and I would have exactly. you know you learn how to forgive, and it would have hurt you for the rest. Maybe. It has its
0: ups and downs. Yeah, like you, deal you with work, it. You deal work with through it.
1: it. And a part of, I think, generational curses are cultural norms that are, are not appropriate to accept yeah and um you know and that's only because people are not the same people they were 100 years ago men are not the same people they were 100 years ago neither are women we're not they're different and and behaviors have changed and a lot of that really has to do with um being able to have more of a social accountability back then than you can now yeah um and and religion is tied into social accountability heavily so if you come from a big church and and you know everybody's going to judge you and watch you you're not going to rob that bank you're not going to take the risk (laughs) you know i don't want i don't want the pastor to see that rob this bank right but but when have we don't have when you have lack of social accountability things that were not normally acceptable become acceptable now because nobody is holding you accountable Mm -hmm. traditionally when we get married we marry somebody from our country or somebody um that is from you know a neighboring city and the reason we do that is because we know who their parents are we know who their grandparents are we know who we can go to to complain when there's when there's crazy things going on that this person shouldn't be doing but as those things started to become less relevant that's when you see all the um all the the changes of what is traditionally acceptable, right? That's true. So now you get to a point where nobody's holding people accountable. Um, no one's holding men accountable in ways they were accountable. Nobody's holding women accountable in ways they were accountable through fathers, through mothers, through mm-hmm. through, through being sisters, through being um, um you know spouses. So what I realized, and I learned the hard way, is. I can't expect to live with the patient's mentality that my grandmother did because my ex-husband is not my grandfather. Yeah. Right. And, um, and I mean, I don't want to talk bad about anybody. It's It was in the past, but that was a traumatic experience for me that really mm-hmm. woke me up. And that was the start of the catalyst of my, my hunger for protection because everything I've done in my, when I really look back, everything I've done in the last, Ten year, eight years since I've been I've been divorced for nine years. I've been remarried for eight. Yeah, everything that I did has always been to protect myself. I never set out to do anything more than what I needed to protect myself. Up until I'm at the p- this point now, where I, I want to do more for the sake of the ability to do more. But everything in between that, between in the last eight years, has always been. Okay, I have to protect myself. I have to protect yeah. myself. I have to do this to protect myself. I have to protect myself. It's just me. I have to protect myself. Yeah. So survival mode has, has been, survival has been my fuel. And, and, and um, you know, you have, you have you go through bad situations like like a divorce to a man, the only man i would ever been with. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm in my late 20s at that point with two babies. And now it's like, well, I never want to be in this position again, number one. Number two is that I never want to rely on anybody again. Yeah. Right? And, and number three becomes you have that burning pain in your heart of, um, how do i get out of the headspace that i'm in because so you, you trusted someone you trusted somebody you did and and, and i what i realized i always say this fear is the strongest uh is, is the strongest emotion because um you can love somebody and i can say lisa i love you more than anybody let yeah. me have all your money and you're like what but i can hold a gun to your head and guess what you're gonna give me all your money 100 right? so i think that you know the feeling of betrayal is along goes really up with with fear and once you start having a distrust for the people around you that also puts you in that survival mode too mm-hmm. you you know, so everything I did was out of protection and self-preservation, which goes back to survival, right? Yeah. And, and and when I tell people this, this they don't believe it. They're like, no, no, you're just a really tenacious, very successful person. You were going to be a millionaire no matter what. And, and I said, no, I don't think so because I would have been perfectly
0: happy being the housewife No, I in think there are, there are points of experiences in our life that shift us into different directions absolutely and yes while you always life that, will force
1: you to pivot sometimes yeah.
0: life will force you to pivot like while you always had the capabilities yeah
1: just because but, i had the
0: skills but, as you me, I want, you, but you didn't have the want
1: i didn't have the want i didn't have the want and, you yeah. know when i was you know at the time when i was living in medina we had a big house nice cars i was a nurse practitioner he was a physician we had two babies at home i was living a good life i had no i had no Extra. Even though we talked about different things that would be good that we can do business-wise, yep. I had no um, no want to do anything much bigger. Yep. Um. And and then you know you get get entered into the next phase of my life and you get my doctorate and then you know you go through financial issues related to wanting somebody else in your life to be to to have sustainability and it doesn't yep. work out and then you're like oh crap well now I'm you know I I. I don't want to spend the next 10 years paying back all this debt and struggling not to have a decent quality of life. I want to protect myself. Let me try something different just one more time. Yeah. It was never, you know, it was never anything I did was never designed to give me this abundance of success or abundance of money for the sake of having a, a, a insatiable hunger for, for, for. What oh, I wow. have, yeah, it was always a matter of protection and um, sustainability because I never wanted to put myself back, both in the headspace or the financial situation I came from. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah, it was it's, it was a lesson that I learned the hard, hard, hard way. Yep. Uh, and, um, you know, it's something I never want my kids to have to experience.
0: So I know it's difficult, but I think about my mom and what she went through. Mm-hmm. And same thing for her. Same thing. And, right. and um, but I will say with that, my mom, who does have her own company, mm-hmm. um, she only has her high school degree. Right. Was adamant about both of her children going to college mm-hmm. and graduate, not just attending, graduating from college. Right. Because there, there's, there's a, a difference. <laughs> there's there is a difference. a difference. Yeah. But not only that, I remember my mom, I would have my other girlfriends... Mothers always talk to their daughters about boyfriends and getting married. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was not my mom. Yeah, at all, and I love her so much for that. But if your mom would have never had her traumatic
1: experience, she would have continued. 100%. Of the, the way that was considered normal. 100%. For her.
0: But then she learned. And she then learned she the was hard like, way. And she was like, You will be independent on mm-hmm. your own. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it takes if you learning find, the hard way. If you find somebody along the way, that's great. But you need to focus. Yep.
1: Well, and you have two roads when trauma occurs. Yeah. The, the two roads are creating a generational wealth, which your mother created by telling you, Be a strong woman, create strong people. And yep. then you have. The other side of trauma which is a generational curse which is this occurred i don't know how to break it down this is all i know yep this is how it's going to be yeah so they cycle back so they cycle
0: back to it because it's comfortable yeah my mother's toxic my mother never remarried you (laughs) see? my mom mom was like they would have to be a pilot yeah and gone and gone most of the month that's right (laughs) that's right that's
1: right and that's what it is you know and it's it's having the discernment yeah when those traumatic experiences occur to either lead you in the way of building something for your family and their family that will create a wealth, whether it's just knowledge, Mm -hmm. whether it's guidance, whether it's resources, or you create a curse, which then becomes a repetitive cyclic thing. Even though it's toxic, it feels safe. Yes. And that's the crazy part because familiarity is safer than change. Yes. And that's why some people never shed the generational curses, because it's familiar. It's what they know. It's what they know. And sometimes it's all they And it's deep-rooted in them that it'll Mm -hmm. never change. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I've seen it. You know, I see it. I've seen it in my mom. I've seen it in my grandma. I've seen it in my father. I've seen it, you know. Um. And, and, you know, again, discernment. But my parents, even though they're flawed, they're human. Mm -hmm. Right? And that's a lesson you learn. As an adult, to do you have to learn how to accept? Are you going to accept that your parents were human and they they were capable of mistakes? Yeah. And, and I accepted it a long time ago. But what you see in, in your parents, what I see in my parents is a lot of generational curses. But what I've also seen is them putting things into us to ensure that we can discern them, not even to discern them themselves, but no. to, but to teach us to be able to discern things exactly. so that we can break through the generational curses they never wanted to admit existed. Exactly. I'm not going to tell you that these things are my generational curse, but I'm going to teach you how to identify
0: them a hundred percent and that's made a difference to us you know? it really has thank you moms thanks moms we love you <laughs> I <know. laughs> lena i absolutely thank you so much for joining the podcast absolutely today. always a pleasure so, always a pleasure so this means she'll
1: be coming back anytime
0: that's amazing. i can talk
1: about anything I'm, I'm the biggest bullshitter you'll meet she
0: is the best <laughs> talker i am telling you but um thank you so much
1: absolutely anytime and um I hope to enjoy some of this good weather that we're having out here.
0: Heck yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you everyone for listening in to The Seed. If you'd like to receive our weekly newsletter, go to dandelion-inc.com and click Let's Connect. And please be sure to subscribe to The Seed's monthly podcast to hear more inspiring stories from other badass women that are all around us. Remember... Behind every woman is a tribe of other successful women who have their back. To you all, thank you.